Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, and such an encouraging section of the Bible as we follow along the life and ministry of Elisha. I mean, Elijah was exciting, but Elisha, I mean, he's serving with a a double portion, an anointing that he requested. And throughout 2 Kings, up to this point, because we've had our Bible study spread out, you may not have noticed that already up to this point, Elisha's been involved in 13 miracles, just up to 2 Kings chapter 5. Remember there was the parting of the Jordan in chapter 2, there were the healing of the waters in chapter 2, there was the curse of the bears in chapter 2, then there was the filling of the valley with water in chapter 3, then there was the Moabites, then they saw the water and thought it was blood, chapter 3. There was the miracle of the, the overflowing vessels of oil in chapter 4. There was the prophecy to the Shunammite woman that she would have a son, chapter 4. The resurrection of the Shunammite son, chapter 4. The healing of the gourds, remember you throw the meal in, chapter 4. The miracle of the bread, chapter 4. The healing of Naaman, chapter 5. The insight of Gehazi's transgression. Remember, we learned that last time, the gift of the discerning of spirits that was manifested even in the Old Testament, and then finally the leprosy upon Gehazi. And you you go through the, the Bible, and as we're reading it, you may not notice the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And might I just say that some of you might have come here tonight, some of you might be listening in because there was some white things falling in the sky, so you're watching online instead of here, so listening on the radio, you, you, you look at your own life and you don't see much. You, you assess your life and, and you look at where you are, maybe even have this attitude. This attitude is, you know, at this age I would have expected such and such, and at this age I would have wanted to do this, but might I suggest to you and encourage you to take an examination of your life and give God credit for all the things he's done in your life. I mean, all the things that he's been doing, all the things that you've overlooked because maybe it didn't happen the way you wanted or it didn't happen when you wanted, but I know that if you just looked at today, if you just looked at today, you know, when we have, we gather together on Wednesday mornings, early in the morning before we start, we have staff devos together and and, uh, I felt led to lead the devos this morning, but only in the sense of reading a scripture that I was reading while I was waiting for people to come in and it was in Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, it just talks about all the good things that God has done and how gracious he is and how he's forgiven us of our sins and how he knows that we're just done. And it's just over and over. And so then we open it up for everyone. Well, what's a scripture that inspires you? And what's a scripture that encourages you? And we went around the room for 15 minutes just reading the passages of scripture that encourage us, that some of them were memorized. So people were just sharing them off the top of their head because they had hid their, that, that scripture in their hearts so they wouldn't sin against the Lord. And and I, there are times you just got to sit down and thank God for all that he's done. And, and not take it and go, well, you know, I've been going through this Bible study for a few, and I, I don't know, Elisha, I don't know, what did he do? What did he do? God has used him in tremendous ways. And you know what, friend? God is using you. And it may not be what you expected. It may not be what you wanted. But God's ways are not your ways. And his thoughts are not your thoughts. He has you right where he wants you. 
doing exactly what he wants you to be doing, in the place, in the city, at work, looking for a job, whatever it is in life, you embrace your position in life as God has you there on purpose. Now, when we come to chapter six here, remember it's in light of the fall of Gehazi, his greed, and how he went after, uh, went after the Naaman to, to get some money, and he lied. And many scholars, when they look at this passage and, and they look back at what we studied last time with Gehazi, they see him as a type of Judas Iscariot because his name means denier. And he becomes a picture as his lies lead to his downfall. Gehazi was compassionless, so was Judas. Powerless, so was Judas. Faithless, so was Judas. And covetous, so was Judas. The same in every way. But as we open the chapter today, in chapter 6, we see contrast. We see a contrast from the covetous greediness of Gehazi being rewarded for his unfaithfulness that we now open up and see the rewards for labor and faithfulness. And by the way, God is so gracious to us because when, when he looks to us in our service and our commitment to him, he levels the playing field. Because in this room today, there are some of you who are very, very highly educated, and some of you never finished high school. There are some of you that have many, many resources, and some of you are praying for the basic necessities. There are some of you that are very, very strong in your faith right now, and there are some of you that are wavering. I mean, you, you can have all of the extremes in life and everything in between. And if we use those measurements in our service to God, we would be discouraged, especially if we're on the lower end of some things. We would always be discouraged by those that seem to have more. And we'd always be discouraged by those that seem to make more progress. And we'd always look at what we don't have instead of what we have. And so what does God do? He puts the measurement at something that all of us can attain. There isn't anyone listening to me right now that cannot attain what God requires in his strength and his power. And it's simply this, faithfulness. No matter what status that you are in life, no matter how much you have, little or a lot or a little, no matter where you live, what your background is, where you've come from, what your issue is, what you deal with, what you struggle with, doesn't matter. What is God looking for? Faithfulness. And every one of us in the power of the Holy Spirit can offer to God faithfulness. And every one of us can also offer to God unfaithfulness. And throughout the scriptures, Jesus teaches us on faithfulness. Our own Savior says, look, whatever's been entrusted to you, be faithful. Wherever you are in the station of life, be faithful. Don't misunderstand your master. Understand he's as a loving, caring God and be faithful with what you have. I mean, how many problems would be solved in the world today if this this truth and this encouragement of faithfulness that people just really took things seriously and just decided to be faithful. I mean, what if it just started in the body of Christ? If the body of Christ, the, the very hands and the feet of Jesus, you and I would just be faithful to our commitments. Why does Jesus have to tell us, let your yes be yes and your no be no? Because unfortunately, there are many times when somebody says yes, but they really mean no. Or they say no and really mean yes, us. Believers, it shouldn't be named among us, but it is. Why is it that 
Believers aren't faithful with giving of their tithes and offerings. Why is that? Why does God have to tell us in Malachi, test me on this? Why would he ever have to tell us that? Of all of his goodness and, and, and his outpouring of love and his faithfulness even when we're faithless, why would he say, you know, test me on this? Why are so many in the body of Christ not faithful with their money? Why are so many not faithful in their home? Like God has made it easy for us to be faithful. And he's even empowered us to fulfill what he's required of us if we just surrender in humble obedience to him. Well, notice in verse one now, chapter six. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And he answered, go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, Pick it up for yourself. And so he reached out his hand and took it. These men, these prophets, were wholly dedicated to the Lord. They spent their days searching the scriptures, seeking God, serving Elisha, and growing in their discipleship in God. And as they consumed the word, they grew spiritually, and they grew in number to the point where they needed to build a larger place to live. Listen, the greatest thing that you and I can do on a daily basis is to grow in our understanding of God's word and in our service to him. You know, as we've been, as we have learned, there is a healthiness as the word of God comes into us that the word of God will then come out of us and we will begin to serve people in the name of Jesus Christ. The more and more God's word comes into us, the more and more he enlarges, he enlarges our opportunities. He doesn't shrink them and we think, begin to think less and less of ourselves and more and more of others. So what does Elisha do? He releases them and he says at the end of verse two, Go. You guys want to go get some wood and build a bigger place? Go. And then this phrase jumped off the page to me in verse 3. You might want to mark it. It's just three words in the New King James. It says, then one said. This is a group of the sons of prophets. It's a large group, a growing group. And then in the midst of their request, Elisha says, go. And then one of them speaks up, just one. One in the crowd. And, And he asks, he says, please consent to go. Come with us basically. He says, come with us. And I, I see this in such a needed reminder in our lives, in a culture, our culture, that has seemed to forget the one. Take, for example, the, the church culture. The church culture. Unfortunately, the church culture seems to equate more with success and less with failure. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, it's simply this. If a church seems to be growing in number, almost immediately a label of success. You know, when they say, what are the largest churches in the United States, they're looking for the ones that have the most people attending. And in that article, the article only stipulates the top 25 churches in the United States of America that are over 10,000 people that come. And what is that article saying directly and indirectly? This is success. 
Success is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Now, God can save thousands at a time. We see that in the scriptures. And churches can certainly be thousands because God has ordained that. Certainly, we see that. But does that necessarily mean success? What is success? You see, is it, a, is, it, is it really true that a large church is successful and a small church somehow means lack of success? I'll answer the question for you. The answer is no. Size is not necessarily indicative of the blessing of God. Size is not necessarily an indication of God's presence. I believe God is well pleased with a church of any size, where if just two or three gather together, Jesus says, I'm there. Just two or three. If we just gather together in a small group, right? Because the church isn't where we gather. This is, you know, th- this is a room where the church gathers, but in a few moments, the church is going to what? Scatter. It's going to go out into the world. You are the church. I'm the church. And may the Lord help us. And here's where it, here's where it really speaks to us as a fellowship family. May the, tr- may the Lord truly help us to never lose sight of the one in the midst of growth, in the midst of blessing, in the midst of expansion. Here they are building something else. And then Elisha listens to one. He listens to the group and he also listens to one. Now, listen, for us being a part of a large growing church, or or you could even use the word larger, because I can say that the church today is larger than it was a few years ago, many years ago. It's larger than when we first started, for sure. And so as we approach it and say the church is larger, I mean, our church has grown, and, and our church will grow, and it'll continue to grow. Because the Bible promises as we cast the seed, like, Jesus, we're fishers of men. You keep fishing, you're gonna catch people. The more you share the gospel, the more God saves people. That's how it works. The more you share the love of Christ, the more God sovereignly brings conviction of sin and draw. Isn't that what happened to you? I was just thinking, my pastor's turning 70 years old here pretty soon, and I was just, they asked me to do a quick video to send him, so I did it today, and I was not only wishing him a happy birthday, but I remember, and I said, thank you, Pastor Jeff, for being faithful and not quitting and persevering, because it was sovereignly God's will to draw me into that very room where they're going to show that video and have Pastor Jeff teach the gospel in a very simple, plain way, where he told me, like I'm telling you, that God loves me, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and die for you. That if you will turn away from your sins today, you'll repent of your sin. You will just admit that you've sinned. Just admit that you failed before God. Just admit that you're not perfect and embrace the loving. You know, why would God point that out to us except to show us that there's a remedy? Just like a good doctor, you know, that Jesus is referred to as a physician, the great physician. And a physician gives the diagnosis so he might give the treatment. And so when God diagnoses us, in our sinful condition, he gives the treatment, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so on the video, I said, thank you. Because it was through the simple preaching of the gospel in a room like this that a punk like me got saved. And to imagine, I'm sitting here in an office, 18 years of pastoring in, a, in Colorado, just saying, you know what, Pastor Jeff? The fruit from the ministry here goes to your account. It goes to your faithfulness and the work that you're doing. You see, because when you preach the gospel, people get saved. You go, but Ed, I've preached the gospel every service and no one's gotten saved. Now, actually, you had to change that. And you say, I've preached the gospel every service 
and I haven't had the privilege of seeing with my own eyes anyone get saved. But doesn't the word of God not return void? (laughs) Is it not return empty? That somebody somewhere might pick up a copy of that study or they were watching on Facebook Live and and now they're wrestling and they're struggling and they're going through it and they're, oh, and, and then maybe two weeks later they bow the knee at their bedside and receive Jesus Christ as their savior. Our church will continue to grow. I'm pretty confident of that. And it'll grow in a variety of different ways. There will be more, but we can never lose sight of the one. Let me show you something. Turn over to Luke chapter 8, verse 43, would you? Luke chapter 8. Church, I'm teaching you, and and so we're going to have to mention this this message for all those that weren't here, because this this is discipleship for us. We can't lose sight of the one. It doesn't matter how many people gather in a room, 30, 300, 3,000, it doesn't matter. God sees every single one as one. Yes, there's the group, but there's also one. Yes, there's the group, but there's always one. Notice in Luke chapter 8, jump over to verse 43 with me, and be reminded of this instance in the ministry of Jesus. It says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now now the background of this is a throng of people around Jesus. You know, the only thing I can think of when I think of a throng of people is like Times Square on New Year's Eve. Like, you don't move. You just stand there until the ball falls, and that's it. You just don't move, and you're, you're just crammed in there as much as you can. So there's all these people around Jesus. They're thronging around him. It's crowded. It's packed. And this woman's determined. This one woman is determined. I've got to get to him. And so she gets to him, touches, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus responds, who touched me? Who touched me? All the people there. He didn't stop, you know, and get the people moving, create a crowd, bring her up here, and use it as an opportunity to teach. No, who? I want to I know who. Who touched me? And everyone denied it. Notice Peter with those with him say, Master, the multitudes throng you. And why, why are you worried about one? Isn't that our attitude sometimes? Why are you worried about one? How would you even know? There's so many people here. And Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. You're in this church. You might be visiting. You're from another church. Jesus, he knows you by name. You are somebody to him. And a true church that's walking in the Spirit, you're somebody to us. You're not just anybody We've never had a goal, you know, for now just between you us, you know, us and our little fellowship here, we've never had a goal to plant a large church. That's not why we moved here. We moved here from California to love people and to teach the Bible and to visit in the hospital, to pray for you, to dedicate your kids and see you get married and Unfortunately, officiate in a memorial service here and there. To point you to Jesus in tough times and to rejoice with you, with you in Jesus in the great times. And just let God do what he wants to do with this church. He's the one that said he would build the church. If you are part of a smaller church, that church is important to the body of Christ. 
Don't let anybody come and tell you, well, you know, your church isn't small. You, hey, you know, your church isn't large. It's so, don't, don't even listen to them. He said, this is what God allowed. This is what I'm responsible for. You know, you might be a pastor listening in. You go, well, you know, our church is only 10 people. 10 people is a lot to give account to before the Lord in eternity. Can you imagine that question? What did you do with the 10 people I trusted to you? Well, I always wanted more. That's not going to sound good. I always wanted more. And I neglected the 10 and always wanted more. And I never had more than 10. No, it's not the size of the church. The heart of the matter is the size of your heart. It's who you are. I, I, I just, this section in 2 Kings where there's this group and it's growing and it's exciting, but then one said and Elisha responded. One is important. Jesus still saves people one at a time. He saves people in your family one at a time. Even if a whole group gets saved at the same time, it's still just one. And our fellowship has begun in the Spirit. We want to continue on in the Spirit ministering to the one to win and disciple and send and grow and encourage and be encouraged god loves to work with many people and he loves to work with one and jesus recognized the one friends don't forget that in your church family don't forget the one don't neglect the one because you know what happens, the greatest temptation is not to get caught up in, you know, not to get caught up in numbers. Here's the greatest temptation. The only one that you care about is you. But the Bible teaches us that we should esteem others more highly than ourselves. That's what the Bible, the Bible says this is the way of love. This is the way of the heart of Jesus. Think of others more highly than yourself. But when we only focus on ourselves and what's going on in our lives and the devil goes on, then, then we forget about the one, we forget about the many, and we only care about what is happening in our lives. The essence of our ministry will not change, larger or smaller. It's irrelevant to me. Faithfulness is what God, you, do, you bring a family here, you bring a family member here, you bring a friend here, we're going to preach the gospel to them and tell them about the love of God. We're going to teach them the Bible and how it applies to life. That we can read today a document that's thousands of years old and yet by the power of God relevant to us tonight. Imagine that. I mean, we do it so often that we forget the wonder of it all. We forget the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So, oh, Bible study, oh, Bible study, oh, Bible study. Oh, I heard that joke before, Ed. I know, I don't have many. I use the same ones all the time. And so you're all caught up, oh, I heard those, I heard that. No, 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 actually, you haven't. Because God has a word for you tonight. That's why he gathered you here. He has a word for you to, so that there might be action in your life tonight. God sees you in this room just as the one. The Bible study goes out on the internet by one at a time. People click on one at a time. Even if you gather around, like some do in the jails, they gather around the radio, God's ministering one at a time. And you're important to the Lord. He hasn't forgotten you. And you're important to us. And so notice now, in verse 3, the one said, please consent to go with your servants. He answered, I'll go. And he went with them, verse 4. And they came to the Jordan and they started cutting down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, said, alas, master, it was borrowed. The axe head, he loses it. Chop 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 boing 
You imagine what it's like as a cartoon. Boing, you know. And what happened? My axe head, I lost it. It wasn't his. He borrowed it. And this becomes a picture and a type for us of ministry. Serving. It's an important lesson to learn that, that we need to take care of our equipment. Especially as it doesn't belong to us. You know, everything that we do in the ministry, it isn't us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. It's not our talents. It's not our energy and effort. The effectiveness of ministry is the cutting-edge power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you'll ever build anything long-lasting and spiritually successful, whether it's your home, whether it's your family, whether it's your marriage, your career, anything you want the blessing of God, your ministry, it must be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're even warned, have you been gun in the spirit and you're just so foolish that you're going to finish in the flesh? You started out so well, new believer, excited for the things of God. Maybe that's even how you started coming to this church. You started out so well, running. The, the word of God ministered to you. You said, man, I want to grow. I want to know what that means. And what does this mean over here? And how do I use it in my life? But then over time, the edge of your life has become dull. And even the axe head has become loose. The axe head to come loose. We need the axe head to stay sharp. Because with the sharper the axe head is, the more work can be accomplished with less effort. It's not like you can't use a dull axe. You can. It's going to take a lot of effort and energy to get the same kind of result, if at all, if you just took time to sharpen it and take care of it. Remember, it's borrowed. If, if the axe head becomes a picture of ministry and service in our lives, then this idea of it being borrowed reminds us that anything we have comes from the Lord. Anything that we have. The power upon your life is not your own. Ministry and serving God is not about you, not about your cleverness, not about your creativity, although God uses those things. It's him, and it's him alone. It's his spirit. How did this guy lose his axe head? How did it fly off and into the water? By using it. Don't miss that. He was using it. In the midst of cutting and chopping, or by way of our illustration, in the midst of serving in ministry, he lost that which was the most valuable piece of his instrument. He, he was doing what was right, but I want you to understand this. He was doing what was right, using the axe and cutting the tree, but he was caring for the axe in the wrong way. And you go, what do you mean by that? Well, axe heads just don't fall off. They just don't fall off. If you were to go down to Home Depot and buy an axe and start chopping your neighbor's tree, it's not just gonna fall, don't do that, but if you did, it's not just gonna fall off. Unless there's some defect, which generally there's no defect, it's not gonna fall off. But I'll tell you how it does. Axe heads tend to loosen over time and use inattention so the more that you use it and just put it away more than you use it just put it away more than you use it just put it away eventually you'll be standing there with your wood handle wondering what happened not only would you lose your edge but you lost the whole thing you know wood symbolizes the flesh in the bible many times we see that in first corinthians chapter three at the bema seat that that which in our lives was wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up before God. Those things in our lives that we did with ulterior motives. 
And here, as he's cutting, he loses it. It's borrowed. And then notice in verse 6, the man of God said, where did it fall? Isn't that a great question? The Lord is asking some of you, where did it fall? You know, Ed, I've lost my edge. I've lost my ministry. I've lost my desire. I've lost that spiritual component of my life. I've just lost it. And it was, you know, it was borrowed. I enjoyed the ministry of the Lord at one time, and now I don't. And Elisha's question is, my question to you, well, where did it fall? Where did it fall? Where did exactly did you lose your edge? Where did you lose your first love? Where have you walked away from? When did you lose, and where did you lose the joy of your salvation? Where did it fall? Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and repeat the first works, Revelation chapter 2. Where did it fall? You're listening to this Bible study right now, and you can look back to a time in your life where you were more fruitful, you were pressing in, and you were chopping down trees, you were in the midst of it, you were street witnessing, you were taking short-term trips, you were tithing, you were giving to missionaries, like, like you were stepping out in faith. Every day was a dependence upon the Lord, and now here you are, comfortable and at ease, involved in things where you shouldn't be doing, you know, now you're using your tithe money to smoke a joint here and party over there, and now the money that belongs to the Lord is being thrown away on the world and your own. Well, where did you lose it? Where is it? Where did it fall? Where did it fall? What happened? What happened in your life? And can't you hear some of the answers? Well, you know, so-and-so hurt me in the church. It's not so-and-so's fault. Well, you know, I went through over this and I had, a, and I had this extra work over here and now. No, it's not, it's not that. It came Why? Because over time, things loosen up, the dedication weakens, and within intention, when you don't pay attention to your spiritual life, it disappears, falls into the water. It's time to repent and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And I admit that I haven't been where I'm supposed to be. I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Because there you are, you're chopping like at any other time, and before you know it, you lose it. And you're standing there with a, a wood, piece of wood, a handle. It's not going to get you very far. And you know, I've watched over the years, I've been serving long enough, where I've seen people try to chop down trees with wooden handles and get so frustrated that they're not making any progress. They get so mad that they're still chopping the same tree down, or at least attempting to, for years and years. You know, you may know some, I know for sure some of these empty chairs that I'm looking at today represent people that were once very fruitful in serving Jesus in this church. As a matter of fact, even as this thought came to mind, I've got faces flashing and different reasons of why the axe handle fell off, or why the axe head fell off. And I'm certain that when we talk to them and we speak to them, they never thought it would end in a divorce. They didn't believe me. Oh, they didn't think that they would get so caught up in their career that they would walk away from the Lord for a few dollars. They didn't think that. They, they didn't think that, man, the inattention 
Well, the inattention in their marriage, the inattention in their home, and the sloppiness of it all, and just, you know, you just get, you get to the place where you don't want to press in anymore because you get tired. You don't want to press in anymore because you get, you get weary, where the Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Why? Because in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart. Like, we would never be warned against weariness and losing heart if ministry wasn't difficult and hard. Stepping into people's lives is very difficult very hard. And there's all these temptations to keep you away from where God has gifted you within the body of Christ, with your gifts. You're the hands, the feet, the eyes of Jesus Christ on the earth. The church of Jesus Christ, the body, the organism that God created himself, that we're a part of, we are adopted in. We are we are the representatives. We are the Christ bearers. We are those that represent him in the world today. And quite frankly, many of us go through life with a handle in our hands and then wonder, why am I not making any progress? And the Lord is speaking to you right now. Well, where did you, where is it? Where'd you drop it? Where'd you drop it? Elisha, as he asked where it fell, he showed him the place. And you know what, friends? You know the place. You know. I realize that there are some, some of this message is to the empty seats. And there may be those listening in that aren't here. They might listen to this. It is the empty seats. But what do we say to the full seats? Well, we say, this is a warning. This is a warning. Here we are pressing in a little bit extra, braving the weather, braving the snow, saying, no, man, I'm going to worship. I want to be there. I, I want to worship with a guest musician. I want a different song. I want to I- I be there. You're pressing in, so it's a warning to us. Oh, Ed, that'll never happen to me, really? Then pay attention. Keep, your, keep the edge of your blade sharp. Make sure it doesn't become loose. And then ask yourself, in the ministry that God has called you to, how many trees have you been cutting down lately? Or, it's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Let me put it into more relevant terms. How faithful have you been lately into what God has called you to do? Because faithfulness is what God rewards. So, some of you have the ability to cut two trees down, have you? Some of you have the ability to cut ten, have you? Some of you have the ability to cut down hundred. You're a Paul Bunyan, man. You're just a cut, tree-cutting machine in the Lord. Well, have you? Or are you standing there with a handle in your hand, bemoaning, it's borrowed, I lost it. All right, where is it? And Elisha noticed it says, he cut off a stick and just threw it in there, and the iron floated. He made the iron float. Another miracle. We read this, it's just like, man, is this the miraculous? He took a stick, he threw it in the Jordan, miraculously the axe head literally floated to the top. And you know, when you and I, wood representing the flesh, when you and I cast aside the flesh, the Spirit of God reigns. And now it's floating, Elisha says, go pick it up. That's always the way it is with the Lord. God, he will give us insights and he'll make things clear to us. And he'll bring things to the surface on our behalf. And then he says and invites us, go get it. Take care of it. Isn't that exactly what happened with Gehazi last time? He gave Elisha insight on all that happened so it would be revealed. And what was his response? He lied and tried to cover it up. 
God never intends to reveal something in our lives to lie and cover it up. Imagine that. Why would God uncover something in order for us to cover it again? The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's true oneness. And and what the the Greek word is koinonia, there's true sharing, a true community when we walk in honesty. And God reveals things so that we might go and grab it. Go take all that God has for you. Take the second chance. Take the third chance. You know, this isn't just a personal Bible study, although we've spent most of our time looking at that side of it. Remember, as we're studying through the kings, God has a message for the nation of Israel. The message for the nation of Israel had a different picture. The axe head actually was a type of Israel. And it was the instrument that was used, God used Israel as that axe head for constructive and even destructive ways. And according to Exodus chapter 19, like the axe, Israel had belonged to another to Egypt, but God used Israel temporarily and then brought them out. Unfortunately, they had gone their own way. They flew off the axe handle and lost their usefulness. And even then, God is able to restore his people to a place of usefulness again, as Elisha's used here and as we're witnessing with our own eyes today, as we learned just this last weekend, a mass return, according and fulfilling prophecy, of the Jewish people back to their homeland, instinctively, intuitively. God is not done with the nation of Israel. Neither is he done with you. And the only word and the only truth that covers that encouragement is that God is so gracious to us and so merciful. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Turn over to Psalm 103 because this is one of the things that is just such a beautiful psalm is on my heart today. Let me show you this even from David's heart. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. So let's all stand together with our Bibles. We haven't done this in so many so long. Uh, we're going to end our service tonight this way. And then, and then Terry's going to come up. Terry and Nancy are going to come up and finish the psalm. But, but we're going to read this psalm together. Uh, I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses, and then very loudly, you're going to respond by reading the even-numbered verses, and we used to do this very regularly on Sunday, but we haven't for a while, so we're going to do it today. So Psalm 103, I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses, and then you're going to read the even-numbered verses, and then um, uh, maybe uh, JJ, you can come up and, and read with us so you can keep them on time. And you guys listening in on podcast right now, or you're listening in, uh, join us. Join us on the radio right now. Now, if you're driving, don't join us. But you can join us in your head if you memorize it. So, so Jade, Pastor Jade is going to keep you guys on, on, um, on cadence so that we aren't all like, like a, a wave of different verses, okay? So verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul and forget not all his benefits. He who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, read it loud. Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made, na- he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. 
Now here's the key, verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Okay, so, so we're going to do that last verse together, all of us. Thank you, JJ. Um, that's what you get for making eye contact with me. So the last one, I want, us, I want us to yell very loudly, just that last little line, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So we're going to read verse 22, and then when you get to the last line, uh, you can yell it if you want, just don't yell in somebody's ear, but you can say it very loud, and let's just declare it. Let's declare it to everyone listening in, but let's declare it to one another. So let's all read verse 22 together. You ready? Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Amen. Tell somebody, look somebody and say, God loves you. Tell them, tell them, does I? Amen. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. We receive your love, Lord. It's not just a simple little statement, and it's not just something that we say to one another. It is the truth. Some are struggling with your love. They don't believe you love them, God. Circumstances in their lives have been so heavy, so hard, that they're beginning to doubt that you're faithful. They're beginning to doubt that you're real. I just sense there's someone here that was raised in the ways of the Lord, but you're doubting even the way you were raised. God, would you remove those barriers and those, would you remove, God, the, well, would you just bring comfort to the pain and the confusion in their lives? You're not the author of confusion. Would you bring a simple faith back, God? When they, when they ask the question, where is it? You just point out, it's right there. And they can just pick up the, the axe head, they start to sharpen it, put it back on the handle, tighten it all up, and go back to business. Go back to serving. I wonder how many today you're calling back to yourself in these last days. And that you, Lord, don't judge them for their doubting. You answered, you know, with Thomas, you always gave an answer to his doubts. You always gave an answer. And the key is he believed you. So would you increase our faith tonight? Would you pour out your spirit in a way that we might leave here faith-filled and full of faith? Would you make us faithful, Lord, where we lack? Would you, not, not just a decision, but rather a, an empowerment to be faithful? And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, God is inviting you to himself. He's inviting you on behalf of God. He says, on, on behalf of 
All of eternity, I sent my son Jesus Christ so you might come into relationship with me. And if that's you, you can just ask him right now. You could say, God, I admit that I've failed and I've sinned. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to change the direction of my life. Listen, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God wants to do that work in your life. He's been inviting you for some time now. Just come. Receive him. And Father, may we leave here today encouraged, strengthened, sharpen our ministries, Lord. Serving one another, helping them get back their cutting edge in ministry. Forgive us for our inattentiveness and our neglect. And renew a steadfast spirit in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.